we will be reading about the anointing of David as king over Israel. And as I begin, I'll make, just make this very clear that this text is a story about Jesus. If we had a children's sermon, we'd ask the kids, what's the story about? And they would, of course, say, Jesus. It doesn't use his name. It doesn't refer to him directly. And it happened more than a thousand years before he was born. But it really is about him. So we turn to the text. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. And now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And he said, In peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they entered, he looked at Eliab, that was the firstborn, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next Jesse made Shema pass by, but he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains the youngest. And behold, he is tending sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that time forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Your words are truth. 
Sanctify us in your truth. Amen. This text teaches us what it means that Jesus is king. Now, now that isn't a figure that we're used to. We don't have kings. We have presidents. So, So what does the figure of a king mean? And I'm going to introduce it with with just a little bit here, and and then we'll go on and look through this story and see how it applies. The most important characteristic of a king in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is just simply that a king leads. That's what it means. He leads. And then his followers do what? His followers follow. That's real simple. And this is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is my king. He leads me. And I follow him. I don't know where he's going to lead, but I follow him. I don't know how difficult it will be or how strenuous the path that he's going to take me on. I don't know what's going to happen, but but, but he's my king and I follow him. Now the next question that arises after that very, very simple introduction to what it means to be a king is this. What is it about Christ that makes him worthy to lead and to be king? And and what is it that makes him worthy for us to follow him? That's the question. What is it about Christ that makes him worthy for us to follow. Now we're going to go into the text. Well, we're going to take a little bit more of a detour into the background of this text, and then we'll get into the text. Is that okay? You guys with me so far on this? You ready? Okay. The background of this text is a couple of chapters before where the people of Israel came to Samuel and demanded that God give them a king. Do you remember that? And then God said, is that really what you want? Because if I appoint a king over you, he's going to do this, and he's going to do this, and he's going to do that. He is going to oppress you. He is going to lay heavy taxes on you. He's going to raise a great army and draft your sons into that army. He is going to come and take your daughters and make them his servants and there's going to be all kinds of oppressive details from a king. No, we want a king so that we can be like all of the other nations around us. And God said, okay, if you want a king, I will give you a king, but I'm gonna give you the king, the kind of king that you want. 
So they had, he had Samuel anoint Saul. And Saul, from outward appearances, was king material. The text says that he was tall, stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He was probably about my height back then. I'm king, no, I'm not king material. He was strong, he was handsome, he was what they wanted, but he wasn't a true king. He, he didn't have the heart of a king. And you know the story, he ultimately failed and he ultimately disobeyed God and God finally said, I repent of the day that I made you king. And Samuel mourned over Saul and finally God came to Saul and said, the time for mourning is over. You are going to go to the house of Jesse and you are going to anoint a new king. When Samuel got to the house of Jesse, Jesse brought out his first son, Eliab. And this text says that Eliab passed in front of Samuel, and Samuel looked at him, and Eliab was tall and handsome and strong. And Samuel's response was, he, he looks like a king, he, he must be a king, and he even moved to anoint him. But the text tells us that the Holy Spirit held him back. You, you see, Samuel made the mistake of measuring a king by human standards. And then the Holy Spirit gave them this very, very familiar verse. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looked into Abinadab's heart, and he did not see the heart of a king. If they anointed Abinadab, he probably would have ended up in the same situation as Saul, simply because he did not have the heart of a king. Do you see that there? Okay. And then he called the next one. What was the second one's name? I'm lost here. Oh, Eliab was the first. Abinadab was the second. And the Holy Spirit said, not him. Then we come to Shema, the third son. Nope, not him. And then finally, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth. Not him, not him, and not him. And finally, there were no more sons, and I'm sure that 
Samuel was starting to wonder, what's going on here, Lord? So he asked, do you have any other sons? Yes. Well, where is he? There's one more. David. My text says that he was the youngest, but the text can also say that he was the smallest. The very opposite of what we would think a king would be. Well, bring him in, Samuel said. And Samuel looked at David. And the Holy Spirit prompted him, and Samuel said, yes, this is the one. And he anointed David as the king. Do you remember the text says that God looks at the heart, and he was looking for the heart of a king? What is that? How do we see it in this text? What is the key? What is it that makes David's heart fit to be a king? The answer is in what appears to be a throwaway descriptive phrase in verse 11, where it says, and behold, behold what? He is tending the sheep. That's the key. David was a shepherd, and he had a shepherd's heart. He knew how to care for the flock. The mark of a true king was that he had a shepherd's heart, and I'm going to repeat it, and I'll probably say it over and over in this text. The mark of a true king was that he was a shepherd, he had a shepherd's heart, and he knew how to care for a flock. You ever wonder what it means when it says that David was a man after God's own heart? Do you remember that phrase? This is what it means. David reflected the very nature of God and God's own heart in that God himself as the heart of a shepherd who lovingly and carefully cares for his flock for his sheep. And David had that heart. And because of that, even though he wasn't tall, even though he wasn't old, even though he wasn't strong, even though he wasn't powerful, he was a shepherd. And that made him fit to be a king. I'd like to contrast this with Saul because there's a very interesting story in the life of Saul. What was Saul doing when we first meet him in Scripture? Does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember your old Bible stories? I don't know if this was in the Sunday school curriculum or not. What was Saul doing the first time we find him, the first time we meet him in Scripture? Anybody remember? Quiz 101. Okay. 
The first time we meet Saul, Saul was out in the countryside because a, and I'm not sure if they're called a herd or a flock or whatever, but I'll just simply say this. A bunch of his father's donkeys that Saul was supposed to be caring for had gotten lost. And Saul had to go look for them. And the scripture is very clear that he didn't find them. He kept looking and looking and looking, but he couldn't find them. Now, now donkeys aren't the same as sheep, but the idea is the same. Saul did not know how to care for a flock. He didn't have a shepherd's heart. And he was unfit to be king. And that was revealed in his life. And this is why God ultimately rejected him. Now, after all of that, why is this so important? How does a shepherd lead sheep? I'm going to ask this question here to see if there are any farmers in the audience. Do, do any of you have experience? Is there anyone here that has had experience with sheep? Anybody? Okay. The, the, the number one rule with sheep is that you don't herd them. You don't force them. You can try, but it doesn't work very good. Think of trying to herd cats, okay? Herd cats, can you herd cats? No, you try it and they're just gonna go all over the place. Herd sheep? Nope, doesn't work. A shepherd leads the sheep by serving them. He cares for them, he feeds them, he provides them with water, he leads them in places where they can get the rest that he needs, and he cares for them continually, day in and day out, and he even sacrifices for them, where he even cares for the weakest and the smallest and the youngest. And the sheep begin to learn the sound of his voice, and he is the one who cares for them, and because of that, they follow him. And wherever the shepherd goes, the sheep follows, because they've learned to trust him, and they've learned to care for him. 
This is why a biblical king is a shepherd. The biblical king is one who serves his flock and cares for them, and they learn to follow him. And this is how David was king. And this brings us, of course, to Jesus. You knew this was going to come up, David is the king who points to the true king. All of this is a picture and a mirror of Christ. Jesus is, as some want to say, the perfect and the better king, of whom David is the imperfect picture. Thank you for a reading from Ezekiel. Do you remember that text read earlier today? It's a very important text, one that would be good for you to go back and read several times. In Ezekiel, we find that the kings that followed David no longer had a shepherd's heart. They no longer cared for the flock. They used them They abused them, they abandoned them, especially the poor and the sick and the frail and the helpless. And the flock, which was their nation, had become scattered like sheep scattered on the hills. And God looked down and he was moved with compassion over the people of Israel. And he said something very interesting. He said, I myself will come and I will shepherd my flock. I will gather them from where they are lost and I will bring them in and I will feed them and I will heal them and I will sacrifice for them and I will care for them as a shepherd cares for his flock. God himself, you get get the whole point of that text? God himself is going to come down as a divine shepherd king and care for his flock. And then we come to Jesus' announcement in John chapter 10, verse 11. And he stands up and says, what does he say? I am the good shepherd. What was he claiming to be? Notice here that he's really claiming to be God himself. He is claiming to be the good shepherd that was promised in Ezekiel, where God himself would come down and shepherd the flock. And he's to say, that's me. And he's claiming to be the good shepherd in Psalm 23, where the Lord, where the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd who leads me by still waters. I am that good shepherd. I am the Lord. And as the true shepherd, I am the true king.
And what Jesus was doing at that point was inviting the people to follow him. I'm the good shepherd. Now you follow me and I will care for you. I will serve you. I will sacrifice for you. And I will give up my life for you. Jesus led by serving. And we see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus served the beggars. He served the poor. He served the needy. He served the blind. He served the sick. That's the whole story of the Gospels. He served. And because of that, he is worthy to be proclaimed king. He is worthy to lead. And he is worthy to be followed. And then Jesus said, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus served us above all by giving himself up into death for us. Not just simply on our behalf, but in our place. Now what does all this mean? It just simply means that as the shepherd king, Jesus is worthy to lead. And he is worthy to be followed. And I encourage you in your heart to consider this. I am content to be Jesus' little lamb and follow him. And this is what it means to be a Christian and this is the invitation that he, and that he gives out to everyone here. The invitation to be simply Jesus' little lamb. and be willing to follow him. No, no, he doesn't say what the road is going to be like. He doesn't say how long the road is going to be. He doesn't say what kind of troubles there will be, but he does promise this, I will care for you. I will care for your soul. I will give you that peace and rest that you need, and I will provide for you. Now you follow me. This congregation is a member of the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations and as such subscribes to the 12 fundamental principles of the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations. How many of you are aware of the fundamental principles? Come on, you guys. Yeah, there's a few here. The first one says this. The congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. And what that means, and I'm going to apply it, is that this congregation is the kingdom of God. It's not just simply something nebulous out there that, you know, 
Well, we say the kingdom of God is the universal church. It's more than that. This congregation is the kingdom of God on earth. And as the kingdom of God on earth, it is Jesus' flock. It is Jesus' little lambs. That's who you are, and that's your identity. And he has given his life for you. He has not only given his life for you, he has promised to care for you, to shepherd you, to feed you, and to give you rest and bring you into eternity. And as such, he is worthy to be followed. And that is what defines a congregation. Simply a flock of little lambs who have learned to trust their shepherd king and they've learned that their calling is simply to follow Jesus. We don't know what the future is going to be like. We don't know what the future will hold. But we will faithfully follow him because he's worthy to be my king. He's worthy to be my shepherd. May the Lord bless you. Amen.